This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Dude Shoes. Light, comfy, good to go to. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frames. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hun, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. Welcome again to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Coleman, and joining me tonight is Max Cohen and Mike Gregg. This is our post-match show of Holmes' 2-1 to loss to Chelsea on Sunday at Craven Cottage. We have a lot to talk about, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome both my co-hosts back to the show. First, Mr. Cohen, how you doing? I'm doing well, Russ. It's the happiest I've felt after a loss uh, <laughs> in quite some time. So, you know, that's the Scotty Parker effect, I'd say. <laughs> The Scotty Parker effect. We'll certainly be talking about that during the show. Let me also bring on Mr. Greg. Mike, you're at Craven Cottage. How are you doing today, a day later? Yeah, hi, Max. Hi, Russ. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, you can see that the Fulham fan world on Twitter and forums is a, a little bit happier than it's been recently, even following a loss. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking about the game and, uh, some of the points from it, and uh, you know, uh, let's see what we can do for the last last few games, really, and see what effect Parker can have on the team. Okay, excellent, Mike. Well, listen, let me start with you. You were there, so just give me your overall view of what you watched in this match. Well, I haven't been at uh, Stamford Bridge earlier in the year to watch watches. Um, I thought, you know, it was, it was a good performance by us. I thought a draw would have been a fair result, uh, considering how well we played 
second half. Um, I didn't think Chelsea really got out of second or third gear, but maybe that was down to us and the way we played. Uh, we certainly worked hard, which is what Scott Parker wanted. Um, so you come away from a, a defeat, but it, you know, it was odd speaking to a couple of people walking away from the ground. It was almost, I wouldn't say we were looking at it as a victory, but um, a glorious defeat in some ways. Um, but it gave us a bit of a buzz. I mean, the last few games have been horrendous, really. Right. And uh, uh, having been at Southampton during the week, uh, that was disappointing. And at West Ham recently as well. So uh, to come away from at least putting in a performance, that's all you can ask. You're playing these better sides, at least turn up and uh, put some effort in. And uh, they certainly did that yesterday. They did, Mike. And I want to go right back to before I go over to Max and get his thoughts I actually watched part of the uh, press conference from Scott Parker after the match. And of course it's been known before the match in, in his uh, press conference that he wanted them to play. I'm paraphrasing basically for like 90 plus minutes, just giving it everything that they can in the press conference afterwards. He said they did that, but the difference he wanted more than that. He wanted them to show their skill set, And he said, he saw that in the second half. He said, he talked to them at halftime about being brave. We've heard that term before, but I think he got this one right, Mike, because I think we started to see a lot more created in the second half and maybe the players needed to play with a little bit more freedom or feel that they could. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, I likened it to um, going back to the way when we had the ball, going back to the way we played under slab, but with a bit more speed, a bit more directness. So you saw... And I think McDonald was key to this um, because when McDonald came back during during the week at Southampton, it was interesting that he was looking to pick the ball up like we've seen him do for two seasons at the back and then look to pass it. But the players were running away from him at Southampton, whereas yesterday they were looking at picking it up off him. So he's giving it to Ream, he's giving it back to him, he's giving it to TCs coming back to him and you know and, and they're playing those triangles and and trying to build out from the back um but just that little bit quicker in attack and so a bit more directness that way um but yeah i mean they put the effort in and and, and they gave they gave it a good go against uh, you know <laughs> one of the best teams in the country there's no doubt and um you look at it we passed nearly 400 passes which we haven't really done that much recently and uh, and the passing accuracy was back up, you know, with a uh, you know eighty percent. So, you know, considering what we were doing under Ranieri, it's uh, a massive improvement. So, so yeah, I think you know he got exactly what he wanted from yesterday. You know, but the question is, can they do that? You know, there's always the new manager bounce. Sure. And, you know, but we have a hard. He's got the hardest run of four games, including <laughs> yesterday. I suspect any new manager caretaker has ever had. It's a good point, Mike. It's uh, really unbelievable. Obviously, we have Leicester to follow, and then it's uh, Liverpool and Manchester City, and we've just played Chelsea, so it's uh, an incredibly hard run there. But, uh, again, it's weird to say, uh, uh, talking about a, a, a good loss, but it's one of these situations where I think that they showed so much, Mike, and uh, I kept getting DM'd and, uh, and messaged this term, Mike. We got our Fulham back. Do you feel like that? I must admit, I'm not keen on that term. Okay. Uh, no. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, if our Fulham back is losing to a top six side, <laughs> but at least 
giving it a try, then yeah, we certainly got that back. We're a long way from getting whatever um, our Fulham back means. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't think we're going to see that the rest of this season. We may do next year uh, if we go back to a sort of passing style, which uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to. Um, but yeah, a bit, bit early for that, I think. Okay. Max, over to you. Your opening thoughts on the match, and uh, feel free to share your thoughts on what Mike just shared about the style of play. Yeah, but I'm actually going to say, uh, in many ways, we did get our full and back. You know, I, the soul was what I think that term refers to, right? Just like our identity. And under Ranieri, he just showed, showed a blatant disregard for that. And I think the two players who everyone's going to mention is Kearney and Sessegnon, right? Those are the players, who I think, for many fans, myself included, that embodies Fulham, right? You have, you have an 18-year-old who's one of the brightest hopes in the country, who has passion for the team and plays his heart out no matter what, right? And is also one of the best talents in terms of attacking um, in Sessegnon. And then in Kearney, you have a club captain who's been with us, you know, from the lowest point, you know, of that kind of Kit Simons year, uh, coming back um, and dictating play. He was at the heart of the passing style that Mike just mentioned. And those two players are so key to that match yesterday. And not only were they out there playing well, the whole team was lifted up because of that. And that's, that's what I think Scott Parker brings, right? I, you know, some people, he's not their cup of tea, but I think he is a perfect man for this moment. He's a perfect man to bring kind of the best of Slavins, the best of Ranieri, combine those two, um, and, and, and let Fulham play these last 10 matches with the shackles off, with the freedom. Because no one... I don't think anyone left a full match, and I think in the past couple of months, very few people with a smile on their face. And this match was the first time I've watched Fulham in a long while when he actually felt joy watching the side play. And I think that's, that's I'd say we got our Fulham back in, in, in a way. And that's what I think that people meant is that they felt happy. They didn't feel like this team was a burden because that's what they've been playing as in Ernieri. And under Slavisa, that too, honestly, with all the goals conceded and the losses, it felt like a burden to watch Fulham. And although it was a loss, it's a good point, Mike. We did lose a match, so you can't really yep. strive for, for, for defeat. But in the end, you're right. It, it, was a more, it was a glorious defeat. And I think it's so much of the way we played. If we play like that in the last nine matches we have left, whether we go down or not, which we most likely will, but we're going to go down with pride. And that's, that's all Fulham fans want. Our bar is so low after the opening, whatever, eight months of the season. All we want now is just play with pride. Okay, very good there, Max. All right, Mike, right back to you. I want to ask you about this because uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, and I I know that this was important to me, so I I just want to get your thoughts on it. Of course, we're talking about the return of Scott Parker. I have to also talk about the return of Stuart Gray, Mike. I want your thoughts on this. This is just my opinion. I'm not in training, but when Stuart Gray came to Fulham's defense, Rounded into shape. Not saying it's going to happen overnight. It's not a miracle worker, Mike. But I think this is a huge plus getting him back. I, I actually look back and uh, he left Fulham in July. So we never really had him in the Premier League. So I'm happy that he's back in, in the fold. What are your thoughts about the return of Stuart Gray? Am I making too much out of this? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think we were all disappointed to see him leave. Um I could give you the reasons why he left and somebody else could come back and say that wasn't the reasons. But, uh, you know, I'm led to believe, uh, you know, his contract was up. Jukanovic didn't want him uh, there any longer. So he left um, and Parker came in. 
and um, and there we have uh, uh, Gray back. Uh, you know, and as you know, Russ, you know, I, I, I spoke to you on on you know via Twitter during the week before yep. the sacking, and I did say to you that he there was a good chance he was going to be coming back, and uh, lo and behold, within 24, 48 hours, that happened. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I had an inkling earlier in the week that he was going to come back, and so I'm glad he is. And, uh, you know, is he the, the great defensive guru we think? He probably isn't when you look at the way we played and the goals we lit in under Jukanovic. But what he does bring and he, to, to Scott especially is he was there for two years uh, when we were playing well. He knows all the players. You saw the reaction of Kearney from the pitchers when he on the training field on Friday morning. Um, and, you know, like I say, has a wealth of experience and comes back. He's got an infectious smile. Every fan is glad he's back. So, yeah, it, it was a really good move on whoever's decision it was to bring him back. I agree, Mike. Glad that he's back in the fold. And let's see if he makes a difference. Like I said, it, he's not a miracle worker. And it's a good point to talk about. We still gave up a lot of goals with Slavisa, but it just seemed more organized. And hopefully he can make a, a difference with Scott Parker for the rest of the season. And we'll see what happens after that. All right, Mike, right back to you. Let's talk about the starting 11 and the 18 overall. What, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting too many uh, shots. I mean, it was, uh, I thought the only only one might be either Ang- Angriso or Seri starting, but he went with Chambers and McDonald. Um, you know, it was good to see Session on back in. Um, and the only question mark before the, the game was really what formation it would be, whether it would right. be, you know, 4-3-3, could have been five. You know, I mean, I, I called it as 4-4-1-1, and I think... Initially, it looked like that, certainly attacking-wise or, or def- defensively, and then suddenly we would revert to the, the two wide men up top as well. So uh, it, it suited the players we had we had out on the pitch. You got Tom in the centre. Um, so yeah, you know, it's fairly pleased. It was, you know, it was interesting. It was Mark. I was trying to think who's the player missing. Who's it was Markovic as well. Yeah. So he was out. Yeah, he was out of the eighteen. Um, Apparently he was fit, so uh, you know that's interesting. And uh, you know we ended up seeing Vieto and Aiti come on as well, and and Guisa. So it, it was a decent bench also. But uh, I mean I've been impressed by uh, Nordvet. You know he's a yep. solid, looks a solid centre back. Um, you know a bit no nonsense. And I thought you know with the passing, as I said earlier, with McDonald back. He was quite easy with that as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was a decent lineup. Okay, excellent. Over to you, Max. Yeah, I was uh, I was happy, you know. I think Sesson's back in there. It's a 4-2-3-1. It's, it's a formation I think everyone was kind of crying out for all season because we can't play the 4-3-3 in the Premier League. It's too wide open. And we certainly can't play five at the back because that's too defensive. Well, hmm, what's one way to compromise between the two? It's a 4-2-3-1. And it, and it wasn't rocket science. It's not like Parker came in here and totally re-engineered the whole side. He didn't. He made a couple of changes, made a simple structural change. That was pretty obvious. But it's almost, you know, in, in management, sometimes the most obvious things are the hardest to do because Ranieri and Yukanovich couldn't implement, you know, couldn't implement the right formation throughout the year. So that was nice to see. And, and I don't think we missed Sarri at all. I was honestly 
happy not to see him play because I think he has his qualities, but in this relegation fight, in this side, I was happy with that midfield three. Listen, McDonald, is he a Premier League player? I don't know, but I think he gels with the side, right? And I thought, I thought he was pretty good against Chelsea. And if you're going to play someone in the attacking triangle of that midfield three, it has to be Kanye for me. He plays that role so much better um, than, than, in my opinion, than Seri does. Because um, he knows the team better, and I just think he's better suited to that. And if you think back to the um, the West Brom match, right, uh, when Lawson got injured back in late December, when Kanye took on that central midfield role, that's when he had a best attack and play in that second half. That's when he really succeeded. So I think we've seen um, that Kennedy is, is a right guy. He needs to be in that starting lineup. And if that if that's at the expense of Seri, that's a compromise. That's a you know a trade I'm okay to make. Okay, very good there, Max. Okay, Mike, back to you. Um, we're limited for time with you, but I have two topics quickly I want to go with you about. First of all, let me just ask you about this because this is something that Emilio said on the full time show. You've been talking a lot about McDonald, and I understand why. Listen, he's one of my favorite players. Emilio thought it was a turning point in the second half, and I'm curious if you agree with him. Bringing on Nguisa and taking off McDonald because we were a little bit more forward-thinking under Nguisa. He made some really good passes, so he actually thought it was a benefit bringing him on for his skill set. What do you make of that? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, McDonald, you know, he, he played during the week. He hadn't played since December. So, you know, it was a, a fast-paced game, and uh, I thought it was a uh, substitution. I know if anyone's been on Twitter or Friends of Fulham or anything, Angrisa is absolute Marmite at the moment. He's, um, you either like him or you think he's the best player we've ever signed. Um, personally, I think, you know, there's a good player in there somewhere. Um, yep. And I thought yesterday he made some really decent passes. and. You know, for some people to say, you know, he was the worst player on the pitch, that's ludicrous. You know, that is that is just not being honest with yourself. That's not liking a player for whatever reason. And I personally think it's because they see him as the, the, the flag bearer of a bad signing yeah. from Tony Khan. So they will never see any good in him. Um, but if you actually look at... Uh, the stats from when he came on, he was actually, you know, he touched the ball more than any other player, any other Fulham player for that last half hour. So, right. uh, you know, he was in, he was involved all over the pitch. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was a sensible move. Uh, he made a couple of mistakes, but tell me a player who didn't. Because, <laughs> you know, shall we, shall we talk about Adoy and his run in the first half and his <laughs> sort of whatever that dive was trying to catch the bloke, you know. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it goes on. That's why. Sure. If you're going to play in a defensive position or a midfield defensive position, mistakes are always going to be highlighted. But you've got to—he's going to turn out, I think, to be uh, a really good player. I hope you know he's with us next year in the championship. So because I think he will be, you know, really important for us. I agree, Mike, and uh, I do think the price tag and the fact that he was signed by Tony Khan is a factor. <laughs> in some of the comments. I agree with you on that. One final thing, and I know you have to leave. I have to ask you about the ref here because uh, Emilio was uh, extremely uh, upset with the ref, didn't feel that it was uh, fairly uh, called for both teams. I saw you on Twitter, so it sounds like you agree with him. Yeah, as you know, I don't usually make too many comments about the refs, but um, 
Um, I didn't really want to yesterday, but I thought he was pretty appalling. Um, I mean, the booking for for Chambers pretty much set the standard. Okay, if you're going to make a silly little tackle or a push or a shove, you should get a card. And he looked in awe of the Chelsea players. He let them get away with so yeah. much without without. That was Emilio's point. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was very very poor. And um, I didn't recognise him. I don't know if he's ref for us before, but uh, uh, certainly yesterday, that was a, it was a it was a ref in awe of a big name team. And how often do we see that? Um, but it was just so blatant yesterday, just so blatant. Okay, very good there, Mike. Listen, I know you have to run, but thank you so much for joining Max and I tonight. Yeah, so yeah, sorry, I, I got late notice, uh, Russ. So uh, yeah, I've got to uh, break off early. But uh, enjoy the rest of the show, Max. And uh, yeah, listen, I hope I can uh, join you for a post-match or another show uh, over the next week or so. Um, but fingers crossed, we can pick up some points and make the uh, the last half dozen games interesting at least. I would like that, Mike. Thanks, Mike. See you, Mike. Cheers. Cheers, Mike. Okay, that was our co-host Mike Gregg joining us for about 15, 20 minutes. Always great to have Mike on and uh, fun to have him on for even a short period of time. All right, Max, before we uh, break down both halves, thoughts on what Mike just shared there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, when you're at the match, thing, you do get a different perspective. So I think for me, I don't, I don't think the ref was that big of an issue, but I, I think I can see where it comes from kind of crowd, you know, builds against him and wants to make a couple of questionable calls, um, it becomes, you know, the, the ref is against us. And without a doubt, the big teams get the calls. We've seen that all season long. We've been robbed. I don't think this match is necessarily one of those matches where we've been robbed. Yeah. I kind of want to focus on the kind of positives of our performances. Um, but you look at a couple of decisions, where Jorginho tackle on Sessegnon, where he goes studs up on his ankle, could have broken his leg, could have broken his ankle. That's a really disgusting that was challenge. I mean... VAR, I think VAR will give that a red, I would say. And then the other big one is the offside for Cessna at the end. Is it margin offside? Probably, but I was talking uh, with you about this beforehand. When, when the TV shows that angle, I'm not convinced they're playing the angle right when the ball leaves the, uh, the player's foot or shoulder or chest, I think it was in Vieta's case, when the ball's being played. Sometimes it's a frame after. And in these tight situations, that can make all the difference with a couple of inches. So... I really would like to see them take another look at that. And, you know, in the end, this is what I say about VAR, is that in a system, when the assistant referees know that there's going to be VAR and, there's, and their decisions will be looked at if it's a goal, yep. they, let, they let the attack play. They give the right. benefit of doubt. It's better, right, Russ, to let the goal go in. And then you look at it, and if it's a good goal, it stands. If it's, not, if it's a bad goal, it's going to get chalked off. Rather than you raise your flag, you cut off the play, and then maybe that decision doesn't get reviewed because it's not a goal, it's just an offside. You can't review that. So that's why I really want this system, because it will let more goals go in. And if assistant referees miss by a fraction, then it will be caught, and they'll say, listen, that's a good goal. And Sesson's chance, that might have made the difference. We don't know. But yep. at the end of the day, that's why we need the technology. We saw with Hernandez's goal, remember, uh, against West Ham. We saw it way back against Liverpool when Mitrovic's yep. goal was called offside, and Allison had the movement, whatever. You go on yep. and on. And I'm sure we've been on the the... the the better of some other decisions. I remember Chambers had a bad tackle against Watford, right, earlier on in the year. And that probably shouldn't have been a red. So it goes both ways. It's not only yeah, it a partisan view. And that's my uh, VAR rant for the week. 
<laughs> well, it's interesting that you say what let the play continue for people that aren't familiar with say the NFL. That's kind of what they do because they'll let instant replay. Oh, yeah, but let's let, let's let's not make it American sports, right? Because I think okay. watching football, basketball, it's terrible. That ruins because things go on for so long. I really hope football doesn't doesn't become like that. I'm sure. You, I'm not like saying that it should be like, like that, Max. Because I'm, it's I'm, a slog, right? It's sure, a, it ruins sure. games sometimes. Yeah. Sure. VAR should not be like that. It should be situations where it is calls that are going to change games, and, and that's what goals are, or potential goals and and penalties and, and situations yeah. like that. That's when I think it should come into play, and, and yeah. it needs to be conclusive. If, if it's not conclusive, you can't change the call. That's the way I look yeah. at VAR. Anyways, enough of my rant on that as well. Let's uh, move on. Let's talk about the first half. And uh, let's just start off by saying, you know, again, playing Chelsea, it's a huge derby match. And I was really excited to see how Fulham would play here. And uh, let's just say, you know, Fulham had some interesting things happen earlier. You have the shot by Brian in in the seventh minute. And, uh, Max, this is one that I'm sure Ryan Babel wishes he had back. Kepa has a little bit of a bobble, and Ryan Babel is right there. And he just wasn't turned on right there to take advantage of the situation. And then um, you have the goal. We'll stop here keep to talk about the, the goal. I said, keep your yeah. eye, keep your eye on the ball. Right? It actually hits him in the shoulder. I watched his back. I know. It just turns his head to tap it. That's a shame. I know. I know. It it was a shame. So let's now go forward, and we have to talk about the goal from Iguain in the twenty first minute. Listen, this this is a great goal. It really was a great goal. And it doesn't take much for for that player to uh, score a goal. So thoughts on um, Chelsea going up one nil? Yeah, it's it's great movement from Iguain. It, it really shows you how he's so elite inside the eighteen yard box. The check in to get at the end of that cross was just superb, and the finish is very good. Hit hard and low. Uh, but you know, I'm going to look at the phone defense here and say Joe Bryan, you should do better to stop that cross. Nordvite Reem, you should do better to track his run because no one really marks him. And I hate to say it, but Rico, it's not perfectly placed, that strike. It's not right in the far corner. I think he has to get down lower quicker and have better reactions to save that shot. Okay, very good there, Max. All right. Well, what's interesting here, and I said this on full time, that normally Fulham's heads would drop and uh, it could potentially be the end of the match. And uh, But this time things were a little bit different. There was a reaction. And it started in the 27th minute. You have the shot by Mitro, which was a great shot. And that's followed up one minute later, Max, with a goal from Chambers that started off of a corner. Your thoughts on the goal from Chambers and also the opportunity for Mitro? Yeah, I mean, you're right. We didn't give up. You know, the Southampton match, the first goal goes in, and that's game over, right? That's, that's yeah. done. We're done and dusted. Here, at home, with the crowd behind us and with the players rejuvenated, we went for it, you know, and, and that's nice. We haven't seen that sustained attacking play in a long time. That's the biggest thing I think about Parker is that he realized we're almost we're, we're at our best when we're controlling the ball, when we're having sustained attacking pressure in the final third. That's been missing for the past couple of months. And when you put pressure on a team, they're, they're going to break. And I, I just so delighted for Chambers to get his goal because he's been, I think, one of the unsung heroes of the side. Comes in on loan. Very easy for him to be like a lot of the other loanees and not really – give a toss about this team, just kind of, you know, bunk off, not really care. He's come in here and he's fought every single match and been a real warrior in the center of the pitch. And Absolutely. he's had a lot of attacking opportunities, a lot more than I think I ever expected him to have. 
and it was great goal against Brighton. And this is a really nice volley finish. Good movement for him. You know, no one marked him. Fair, fair play to the Chelsea defense. Gave us an easy one. But it was such a satisfying goal. And you saw what it meant to him. Great celebration and nothing's better than scoring the derby. Okay, very good there, Max. So at that point, we are at 1-1. And then, unfortunately, Chelsea come right back and score a goal three minutes later. Let's talk about the Jorginho goal, which turned out to be the winner here. Yeah, you know, I was, I was watching with my mates, and one of them said to me, it's just getting a bit open now. It's opening up, and that's going to play into Chelsea's hands. And, you know, right as they said that, you know, Chelsea go up the other end and score. And I think we might have been guilty of just being a bit too haphazard in the first half when it's 1-1. We got stretched, and, you know, with a team like Chelsea in the counterattack, you're going to get punished. And it was tough because, you know, Joe Bryan goes down very high up the pitch. Was it a foul? I don't think so, but he certainly thought so. And we're exposed. But, you know, the frustrating thing for me was that it wasn't like we didn't have any players back. We actually had quite a few players back in defense. But all of our central midfielders, you know, I think it was McDonald and Chambers, the defensive midfielders, they drop back into the box, which is a a natural tendency when you're defending, right? You want to just defend, defend the castle, get back and just be solid. But when they did that, they gave Jorginho acres of space in the edge of the box just to pick out a shot. Fair play to him, great finish. But, you know, Rico doesn't even move. That's important. Right. you got to at least die for something. He's just dumbfounded, rooted to the spot. But, you know, I think that's the issue because there's no pressure on the ball. All of our defenders just laid off. And then, you know, you're going to give players of quality time and space to shoot in the edge of the area. You know, they're going to take advantage. Okay, very good. And let me just also mention, at that point, it's 2-1. to one. We also have the two opportunities from uh, Iguain. It could have been three or four to one. Fantastic save by Rico on Iguain. So we're full and fortunate for only to be two to one, potentially. But Max, I want to get your view at halftime because let's now just go and just end with your thoughts in the first half because I'm thinking here, Fulmer's still in this match. I know they're down a goal, but they – Again, it could have been worse. So what was your mindset at halftime? What were you thinking about? It was a roller coaster, Ross. It was a roller coaster of emotions. You know, when we let in that Iguain goal after starting so brightly, I tweeted out, uh, Queen's Park Rangers, we're coming for you. You know, it was a, a cheese thing. <laughs> we're, we're going back to championship. You know, let's accept it. Let's, let's embrace it. Then we score. So hang on, lads. You know, we got Scotty at the wheel. You know, we're, we're going to be okay. And then uh, that last goal goes in, and you think right back to that same mentality that we just cannot catch a break. But, you know, we did have chances. We were playing brightly. So although we're down at the half, you look at this, we're down a goal. we got 45 minutes ahead of us. We're attacking the hammy end. Why not go for it? I was, I was not too downtrodden. Okay. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the second half with Mr. Max Cohen. Okay, Max, let's now get into talking about the second half. I want to start here because uh, Emilio Danello on full-time mentioned this to me, and I'm curious your thoughts on this because we're going to talk about Angisa coming on for McDonald about 15 minutes into the second half. Emilio said he would have made the the uh, the change then, Angisa coming on for McDonald at halftime. What are your thoughts about that? It's a big call to make it at halftime because when you take a player off at half, it signals to me that either they're injured or they had a stink of a first half, which neither of which were true for McDonald, right? You know he's aging. You know he doesn't have the pace to ca- to keep up for 90 minutes, so the substitution is okay. Uh, I think the timing actually was pretty spot on uh, from Parker. I think, you know, 60 minutes in, that's when you make the subs. And yep. 
But I think what you're kind of focusing on more is putting on Gisa, who's, of course, been injured, been very much third, second, fourth choice in the midfield. Now he's back. Um, you know, he's a player I, I really lampooned. I mean, after that United match, which I think was the last match he played before coming back in Southampton, I said, yeah, I don't want to see him in a foam shirt again, right? Of course, right. that's put right after the match. It's knee-jerk reaction. But he really was atrocious in that match. Him and Sarri were no defensive work rate, giving the ball away at will, flying into stupid challenges. You know, he didn't deserve to be sent off in the end. But at the end, I said, huh, we actually probably played better without him because he was that bad. And I think it just shows how players can change and how the system in which they're employed in makes so much of a difference. And Gisa, people have said, never played as a lone defensive midfielder at Marseille, right? So right. when you put him in that 4-3-3 and play him in that position, it's unfamiliar. He's not used to it. Now when you put him in a 4-2-3-1, right, with another defensive midfielder alongside of him, gives him freedom, but also puts him in a, in a system that is tried and tested. He knows what he's doing more. And it's amazing when players are put in positions where they can succeed. When the manager set them up to succeed rather than set them up to fail, you know, think Ranieri putting Kearney on the wing versus putting him in the middle. When players are put in positions to succeed, wow, what a surprise. He'll actually play well, right? So I was really hardened to see Anguisa play well in that second half because he was bringing together passes. He's driving forward. He looked comfortable. And that's it. That's just the comfort that Parker brings. It's not rocket science playing players where they want to be played and where they excel. It, it doesn't take a genius to do that, but it takes a truth teller. It takes someone who really understands. And I think Scotty Parker is both of those things. Okay, excellent. All right, Max, let's get into talking about the second half. And uh, we'll first talk about the uh, shot in the 60th minute for Mitro that goes over. And then, as we just talked about, you have this substitution for uh, McDonald with Geese in the 62nd minute. Then you have, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. This is a wonderful opportunity for Fulham in the 66th minute. You have the shot by Kearney and then the follow-up by Sessegnon. Your thoughts here? Oh, I mean, wow. It was just, it, it, it was great stuff by Fulham. I mean, that's what you like to see in these tight spaces, just intricate passing, good shots. I mean, Sess gets in there, Kearney. That, that's how we play. You know, it was a flashback to last season, right? I just imagine myself watching us attack the hammy end, controlling the ball, pinning teams back, creating chance after chance. I mean, didn't you feel like that, Russ, that you were watching, yeah. you know, last season's foam team play and dominate and, and excite the crowd? We just hadn't seen that in so long. Absolutely, Max. That was actually a good sign. And, and that's what's interesting because a lot of what we're about to talk about happened after the change. I'm not saying it's all about the change, but I'm just saying a lot of this happened after the change of Nguisa coming on. And truly after that, you have the header from uh, Mitro in, in the 68th minute. Another substitution you have Aite coming on for Babel. I don't know what Giannis yeah. thought about yeah, that. I don't know how Giannis, Giannis feel, feels about Aite, but Aite <laughs> actually was involved in a really good opportunity for Fulham. I also want to mention this is a decent opportunity. I know, again, I've seen the commentary that this was a comfortable save, right? The uh, Joe Bryan shot, but it still was an opportunity for Fulham, okay? And then you have um, Vieto coming on for Kenny. Let me ask you this because. Emilio thought this was a turning point going in the other direction because he thought Kenny Kenny was his man of the match. He did not think that bringing on Vieto at this point was the right decision in, in the 80th minute. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the only way to look at this, um, the, only, the only way that makes sense for me is that Kenny 
you know, was, was tired or had an injury. And I, I think I read people saying he was kind of pulling at his hamstring, looked a bit, you know, cramping up or something or had a bit of a knock. So that, that would explain it for me because there's no other reason to take off your most, you know, influential player at such a key stage of the match. So I, I don't think it was purely tactical. I think he probably had a bit of a concern with his leg or something. So that's, I think, what explains it for me. Um, but I think it was, it was odd because when I hear Kearney coming out for Vieto, you know, I think everyone thinks, you know, <clears throat> that's a negative. And for me, I think that's almost because we've been thought, we've been kind of taught by Yukanovic and Ranieri too, to almost view Vieto as a wide player. Because that's where right. Yukanovic started him. I think he's played more essentially than Ranieri. But, I mean, if you look at where he's played in Spain in the past, he's very much a striker or, you know, a second striker, a central attacking midfielder. He's not really a winger. That's not where he's played most of his matches. So right. when you put him through the middle, kind of right down Mitrovic, it actually, I thought it worked kind of well, and I think he can be dangerous there. So, you know, did it swing back towards Chelsea at that point? Possibly, but I think whenever you take off Cannon, you're going to suffer because he's just so crucial the way we pass. But, you know, it wasn't the worst substitution in the world for me. Okay, fair enough. And then obviously there are a couple opportunities that happen after that. And we have to oh. talk about this one. This was a wonderful opportunity like I said, I was thinking about Giannis at this point when Floyd Ayite basically sets up oh. Mitrel for his header. And, you know, it's funny because I, I've watched this back several times. Listen, it's a great save by Kepa, but if it just goes a little bit in one direction or if he hits it downward maybe a little bit, this goes in, Max. Oh, I mean, what a great chance. This is, this is Fulham being direct, right? It was just kind of a yeah. long ball over the top to uh, to Yaite. And what what a touch. I mean, he's running, I think, with Rudiger. He's pacing him pace by pace. He's not going to beat him. And he just flicks his, the outside of his right boot. And it's delicious. It's right into the path of Mitrovic. And that's probably the best thing Yaite's done all season. <laughs> and let me ask you, after I describe it, I'm going to ask you something else. I think you're really going to like this. Giannis will like it too. Okay. Um, but, you know, Mitrovic should score. When you see him in that position, I know yeah. it's tough, but that's not what you pay $25, 28000000 million for. Strikers to miss tough opportunities. And I'm not going to knock Mitrovic because he's been the only player who's saved us this season, right? Ten goals, superb. Does, right. does what he wants. He knew whatever he wants, and he'll be great in my eyes. But uh, you got to put that away. And, and I, I'm pretty sure you felt the same way. When that small yeah. flick and you see uh, Mitrovic running, and it's just to keep it a beat, and he's through on goal, and it's on his head. I basically leaped up in celebration already before he even touched it. And to see him, it was pretty weak. It was a tame effort in the end. Oh, it let it let us down, and, and you felt that should have been equalized. But, you know, back to Aite. Yeah. I saw someone tweet out that, you know, they said, Floyd Aite, you know, he's, he's a baller. I mean, he's, he's a great player, but he's just injury prone. What are your thoughts on that statement? I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's, it's an interesting thing to debate. I think Floyd Aite could do a job again for Fulham in the championship. He's just not consistent enough. Yes, he gets injured a great deal, but – for me, he's uh, consistently inconsistent. That's the way I've always thought of him when he was in the championship. There would be these great opportunities that would be for him, Max, and just when you need him to take advantage of it, he wouldn't. He would still score his goals, but I just thought that he was very inconsistent. Yeah, I think it's true. But also, you know, I'm thinking back to a promotion season, and he's not one of the players who uh, receives accolades. No, no one's really. going to say, oh, wow, Ita, yeah, he was crucial. But off the top of my head, the goal against Barnsley, a great long-range effort I was there. Yeah. That was a game that kick-started, right? The 20th match on being run, he scores in that game. Yeah. He scores away at Cardiff five days later on, a, on Boxing Day in that great 4-2 win. And you know, the one that really sticks in my mind is that lovely chip against Villa. 
So he's not a prolific scorer. He's not integral. But still, I think you have to say, I think I don't give him enough credit, and I think Plebo don't give him enough credit. He, he, he was a crucial player for us, I'd say. He played a big okay. role. I will throw in a goal from his first season with Fulham against North City at Carroll Road. Oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, wow. I have to mention that. If we're going to talk about Shit. Oh, 18 and make uh, Giannis that? crazy, yeah. we might as well mention that as well. <laughs> but still, I mean, okay. he's, he crops up in, in, in good position sometimes, although he is madly sometimes. inconsistent, I would agree. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right, Max. We have to finish this off by talking about what happened at the very end of the match because – Honestly, I thought the Metro header, that was going to be it. Well, there was one more opportunity at the very end. And um, unfortunately, Ryan Sessignon was called offside, and the goal did not count. And this was in uh, stoppage time, was probably in the last minute of stoppage time. When you watched it live, what were your thoughts? No, it's it's the worst because you see the goal go in, everyone's celebrating. But – I'm sure you had this too. There's a nagging doubt in your mind, right? That, oh, that was a bit off, wasn't it? That, that's not going to be, yeah. that's not going to be given. They pans assess. He's celebrating like crazy. I'm, I'm going crazy, but I'm thinking, oh no, they're going to cut back to the line now. And then you see just assess puts his hand on his, on yeah. his face and his belief and the flags up. And it's, it's the worst thing can feel in the world. It really yeah. is. Um, the only thing worse I'd say is, I don't know if you remember this, but it was boxing against wolves. Mitrovic is through, right? He, yep. In the last minute, it's tied on one. He hits it, gets the flat, and it's just dribbling, dribbling over the line. I'm, I'm on the Johnny Haynes and I can't see at the other end of the pitch. And it just gets cleared off the line. Um, and, and that's something like worse than a disallowed goal because it, it was an eternity. The ball is trickling, and it finally gets cleared right when you think it's going in. That's the only thing in football I think is possibly worse in an attacking sense than yep. having a goal called off offside. But it's it's up there. It was it was it was definitely absolutely gut wrenching. That was hard to watch, and uh, it's funny because uh, when I watched it back, the announcers were right on it. You know, they saw the flag right away. I didn't see it because I was too excited to see the goal, yeah. see the ball in the back of the net. I should say the goal because it was not a goal, but I thought it was. And uh, but when I played it back, they were right on top of it. They saw the flag, and uh, it was offside. It's unfortunate that that was how it ended. So let me ask you this, as we wrap up talking about this match, and then we'll go through the stats, both halves here. Do you think um, Fulham deserved more? I know that's uh, a loaded question at times. I'm going to yes. say they deserved at least a point, Max. Yes, 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 of course. Yeah, you know it. Everyone knows it. Oh, it's, it's really, It was a really great performance. I mean, not only did we play well, we played well against Chelsea. Yep. And, you know, everyone can say, you know, they have had a terrible record in 2019, right? I think we let them score their first goals in almost, like, whatever, 400 minutes of play. So, I mean, on that token, you can say, well, it wasn't that great. But this is a team that just came off a 2 no victory over Spurs. I mean, this is an excellent team. This is a Premier League, definitely top four team, without a doubt. Although they're not performing to that quality, they have that in their team. So the fact that we did it against, that, against Chelsea is, is even more important. And we created enough. Kepa was worked very hard. Yep. We had, I think, a number of shots. I think we had 12 shots, if, if I remember correctly. This wasn't just kind of a smash-and-grab performance. We were on the front foot for much of this match. We were, I'm going to say, undoubtedly the better side in that second half. Chelsea didn't threaten Rico really at all, as far as I can remember, in that second half. We were basically camped in their half. So we deserve more. And, and, and just think what it would have done to us if that goal stands 
the narrative, Parker's first game, Sessanon's back. We have a point. I just think we could be taught. I mean, we're happy now. Uh, we're content now. But imagine if we had drawn that game, what that does to the confidence and what that does to the math. Because, you know, well, we're still going down. I'm not going to say different. But sure. then we really have a glimmer. And now there, there's not nothing. But that would have made a big difference, I think. Okay. Very good there, my friend. All right. Okay. Let's now go to the full-time stats and I want to get your thoughts on what they tell you. Possession was in favor of Chelsea, 64% to 36%. Total shots, 20 to 12 in favor of Chelsea. On target, 7 to 5 in favor of Chelsea. Corners, favor of Fulham, Max, 5 to 4. Crosses, 16 to 11 in favor of Fulham. Tackles, 15 to 14 in favor of Chelsea. Let's now go to passing accuracy. This to me is a big one. This is the one that stands out to me. Mike Gregg earlier mentioned this, and I think this is huge. Fulmore at 80%. I can't remember the last time they've been at 80%. That tells me something. Chelsea were at 90%, but for Fulham to be at 80%, that's a positive sign. And then also fouls were 11 to 10. So I've already told you what stands out to me. What stands out to you from the full-time stats? Yeah, I think the corners is always a good indication of how well the team attacks. And the fact that we beat Chelsea in the corner department shows that we were having sustained attacking pressure. We're getting shots off, we're getting balls in the box, and we're continuing yep. that. That's, that stands out for me, of course. You mentioned the passing accuracy and the shots I said earlier. Those, those are big things. And all the possession was, I think, a little more lopsided than I'd expected. But, you know, we, we made the most out of it. We weren't just passing around the back. We were going forward. No. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with the stats there, yeah. It, it, was a, it was a good show. It was, Max. And uh, the one thing that I, I do want to mention, because we are talking about the stats, and you just mentioned about the passing. I, I do have to mention this, because I remember watching Scott Parker in some interview before the match talking about, he was asked about what his style was going to be, and he mentioned that it might be a combination. And I thought he meant at the time combination between the two styles of Ranieri and Jokanovic. I want to say this is more Jokanovic than Ranieri, but I think that there were parts that you can look at that he kind of tried to marry the two. But the one thing that stood out to me was playing the ball out from the back. We have not seen that, Max, in a long time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a really big example. But, you know, what was one of our best chances from? Direct, right? Yes. That, that Mitchell chance when Ayute flicked on, that's a long ball. So, for me, what I think best encapsulates it is passing first, but be flexible, be malleable. Right? Under Dukanovich, at times, there was no flexibility. Right. It was, you pass out of the back, and that's it. For some reason, I'm, I'm thinking back to um, the Brentford match, you know, Dave, David Bunnan's last match before he got benched for Benelli in 2017. Oh, boy. And I remember, I remember we that. just kept trying to pass out of the back, and he couldn't do it. Yep. And everyone's like, do it long. And we just kept, because Button was terrible with his feet. We just couldn't complete passes. And I'm, we were all just crying out after the match. Have some flexibility. Determine it based on the situation. Whereas the Cambridge sometimes is way too focused. And I think he's almost like this as a person. It's my way or the highway. I'm stubborn. I'm right. And we're going to stick with my ideology no matter what. Yeah. Sometimes it pays off, but most times I think it doesn't. Parker, he's pragmatic. He knows passing is going to be the way this home team is going to win. That's our best way. But if the situation calls for it, we go long. We can have a bit of both. And that's what yeah. I think really sums up his kind of, uh, you know, marrying of the two concepts of the academy. It's a good point because uh, play to the situation. And the situation late in the match, 
called for potentially some long balls. In fact, Amelia was talking about that. He thought that it should have been even more because of uh, the situation that Fulham were in. Why not at that point? But not be so rigid, to be able to be a little flexible. And I think maybe we saw that first match. Let's just be clear here. Under Scott Parker, we'll see what happens in the uh, coming weeks um, as they play under Scott Parker. But that was a very interesting comment I heard from him before the match, and it kind of played out a little bit like that, so I'm glad that we could talk about it. But I also saw some of the style of Jokanovic, which I kind of liked, you know, because I think this team has a bunch of players that can pass the ball. Let them pass the ball. You know, I want to see more of that. Have some kind of style. If it's going to be a marrying of the two, I can deal with that, but I do want that possession style if you can, certainly against certain opponents. All right, my friend. Who's your man of the match? Mine is Tom Kearney. It was Emilio's. Who's your man of the match? Yeah, I like Kearney for that. I'm also going to go with actually Callum Chambers. I think he got his well-deserved goal. I thought, again, he was very combative in the middle of the field. And he just never stopped running. He was all over the place. You know, you see him popping up, not only in the middle, but out wide, in attacking positions, in defense, covering for wing backs. He was, I think, a really, really great uh, encapsulation of what Parker brings to the team. Because, you know, we've all heard it in the press that Parker was credited with turning Chambers into an excellent midfielder. Obviously, yeah. played there before, but in the Fulham setting, Parker sure. got him playing in that center midfielder role. So, credit to him. I thought Chambers was my man of the match. Okay. I understand that. We also talked about Dennis Adoy. Thoughts on Dennis Adoy? Yeah, no, I mean, I like Dennis Adoy. I, I don't think – I think he was good in instances. I mean, I, there are a couple of chances when, you know, Hazard runs right at him. And you're thinking, oh, no, oh, dear. But he actually stands him up and does quite well. So, yeah. you know, fair play to Dennis. He, he didn't crack, but he, he's not mad at the match for me because I think we can see the two frustrating goals, um, and the defense wasn't excellent. It was, it was it was better, but I can't give him a man of the match. Okay. Fair enough, my friend. All right. Let's end with giving a rating for Scott Parker. Well, I'm going to say eight. I thought he did uh, basically everything right except win. Uh, but he brought he brought the sense of pride and, and and determination back to Fulham, and I think the best evidence of that is what's going on with the Leicester away tickets, right? Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but it's it's really all the rage on social media right now, and basically the club only got an allocation around twelve hundred, I think, for the match. And the reasoning was, you know, the sales were so poor, you know, in the in the following weeks and in, in the past weeks that they didn't think there was a much of a need. And ever since the Ranieri sacking and Parker coming in. There's been a deluge of fans wanting to buy tickets to the King Power Stadium because they now feel good about Fulham again, because yeah. Parker's in. And there's a feeling of pride about the club. Um, and, and, and that's the best way to show it, is that the fans were so discouraged and we were so downtrodden that all it takes is the managerial change, all it takes is Parker coming in. And one match, Russ, I think it was four or five days into his tenure, all it takes is that short amount of time. And suddenly, you know, I know Mike doesn't like saying that, but I think we've really got our Fulham back in, in many ways. And, and that's what Parker's brought. Okay, excellent there, Max. Great show. I've really enjoyed that. It's funny because uh, normally after a loss, I'm feeling pretty down. Max, I'm not down after this match. Doesn't sound like you are either. I'm not, I'm not Russ, and, and I agree with you. you know, we've had a lot of losses this season. Um, more than you know the, the past season times five, whatever we'll say. But this one is different. And come back to me after the last match. I'm telling you, if we win that match, right, we're going to have a lot of discussions about survival. And I'm going to tell you, not one of them is going to be logical at all. 
But football is not logical. Football is not about the numbers, the stats. It's about, you know, blindly believing in a team um, and following them no matter how bad they are, how good they yeah. are. That's, that's what fandom's about, right? It's not yeah. about logic. So let me tell you, if we win at the King Power, expect, expect me to say a lot of non-logical things in the show. Like, just, <laughs> just giving you a preview and the listeners a preview. Okay. 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 <laughs> Well, I hope they win because I, I want to hear that. Okay. So <laughs> great stuff, my friend. And listen, I also want to thank Mike Gregg, who joined us for the beginning of the show. But we do have to wrap this up. For my co-host, Max Cohen, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.